When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Read as much as you want from over a million books and 5,000 audiobooks with Kindle Unlimited. Enjoy Kindle Unlimited on any device with the Kindle app and read anytime, anywhere. Books may be added and removed from time to time, but with a variety of genres and titles, you're sure to find your next favorite read. For a limited time, get two months of Kindle Unlimited for just 99 cents by visiting Amazon.com slash all the books. That's Amazon.com slash all the books. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 206, and today we are talking about books being released on April 30th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Trisha Brown, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Trisha, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm doing really well also. This is your first time visiting the show. It is, thank you so much for having me. Would you please tell us a little bit about yourself? I would. I was thinking about that in the 30 seconds before I started talking about it. So hopefully I put some thoughts together, Uh, partly because I would have answered that question pretty differently six months ago. But um, I'm one of the Book Riot folks whose main full-time job is actually not in books. We have a lot of amazing librarians and writers and folks. um, But my job actually is working on national programs in the United States that support vulnerable families. So I work in what we call domestic social programs. Um, I've been doing it for about 10 years. And funny story, that is enough time to do that kind of work and live in Washington, D.C., such that you end up really burnt out. So I'm actually uh, in the middle of what I am calling a sabbatical from my job, uh, what other people might call unpaid leave. Um, But I'm traveling around the country. I started April 1st, and so I'm not quite a month in, but I will be doing that for the rest of 2019. So uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I am. Which is awesome, because really you can read anywhere. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. It's an indoor sport. Yeah, and I've been doing a lot of it, so that's been great. I, for one, am completely confused, because... Rebecca is away next week, so she had to record next week's show early, so I recorded that this morning, so now I went ahead into the future, and now I've gone back. I don't know what's going on. It's like a regular show. I have no idea what's happening. Well, in fairness, one of the books that I'm going to be talking about actually involves some time travel, so I feel like it could be a theme. I did it on on purpose. Well done. Uh, So I'm going to kick it off, if you're ready. Are you ready? I'm feeling good. Okay. My first pick is The Invited by Jennifer McMahon. You might know her from such creepy books as The Winter People. And this is another creepy book. It's about a couple named Helen and Nate. They are teachers at a private school. Their lives are seemingly perfect. Nate's a scientist. They're having the best time. Uh, But then Helen's father died. She was very close to her father. And it kind of throws her for a loop. She doesn't all of a sudden understand what the world is about and what she wants anymore. And so Nate says, what is your dream? Like, what do you want to do? And she decides, I want to live in the woods. I want to build a house in some beautiful woods 
and live off the land and have animals and gardens and it's going to be amazing. And Nate is like, that sounds amazing. I'm totally on board. Let's do it. So they sell all their stuff. They sell their house. They quit their jobs and they buy 44 acres of land in this beautiful space in Vermont. Now, you know, it sounds lovely, but again, it's a Jennifer McMahon book. So they show up, you know, as one of the characters says, kind of looking like they're out of the L.L. Bean catalog. The locals are not thrilled that they're there. You know, they're like, oh, new money coming in, you know, taking over our land. One character in particular who is not happy is a teenage girl named Olive. Um, she has always thought or always been told that buried somewhere on their land is gold and silver. That many years ago, this incident took place on the land that Helen and Nate bought. And before the woman who lived there was taken away, she buried, uh, like, unknown riches. And people have been looking for it for many, many, many years. And Olive is determined to find it. Like, her mother used to tell her the story. Her mother is gone now. Her father is not really all with it. He's kind of going a little crazy. He started knocking walls down in their house and doing all kinds of strange things. And so she's been digging around their land, but then all of a sudden they show up and buy it. So she doesn't know what to do. Now... They get there, and they have to sleep in this, like, old hunting trailer while they're waiting for the house to be built. And Helen is feeling, like, a little unsettled being in the woods. She feels like something is watching her. Um, something is leaving little gifts for them on their porch of the Blair Witch variety. She hears horrible noises, like, screaming in the night, and she doesn't know what it is. You know, Nate's saying, like, oh, it's a fisher cat. And, and for sure, like, if you're listening to this, like, when you're done, go watch a YouTube video of fisher cats screaming because I have heard them screaming outside my house. It sounds like people. It is so scary. Fisher cats are not actually cats. They're weasels, and they look like otters on steroids, and they make the most horrible human screaming sound. So it's completely, completely true that it could have been that. But anyway, I've kind of gone off on this tangent about fisher cats. <laughs> um, so, but like I'm saying, like they're scary. You're like asleep and you hear that noise. It's scary, even when you know what it is. So... She's, she's not feeling super great about this house project all of a sudden. And also, they find the foundation on their property of uh, what used to be another building. And so she's all into this. And she's going... Because she, she likes... She's like an architect. She likes building. She's going to find out, you know, who used to live on their land. You know, what happened to them. Uh, spoiler, nothing good. You know. <laughs> so basically, the moral of the story is following your dreams is a bad idea. So, oh, great. <laughs> all kinds of scary things are going to happen. Um, it's wicked fun, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so, it is called The Invited, and it's by Jennifer McMahon. Wow, that sounds amazing. And also, I learned a lot about Fisher Cats, even just yeah. in the conversation. There, seriously, if you go, go on YouTube, there's all these videos of people who have recorded them, like, yelling in the woods behind their house, and it just sounds like a person screaming. Wow. Yeah, I might wait to do that until I am out of uh, rural West Virginia. And then I 100% will do it. It'll be great. Um, all right. Well, my first book that uh, I will talk about is called Mama's Boy. It's by Dustin Lance Black. And it's essentially a memoir. It's um, Dustin Lance Black's memoir. He's an Academy Award-winning film writer. He works uh, in film. And he did some television as well. He um, worked on the Big Love um, set as well as a writer and he won his academy award for writing milk um, and he's a, a gay man and he's an, been an activist too actually a lot of the book is about um, his work 
uh, to get Proposition 8, which some of you may know was the law that um, temporarily made uh, homosexual marriage, gay marriage in California illegal. So um, he was part of the force that got that overturned uh, in 2013. Um, and the, it's interesting because he's done a lot of really interesting things and he's been a lot of really interesting places, but the main framing device of the book is his relationship with his mom, um, Anne, who is a woman who, as a child, was stricken with polio. And so for a lot of her life, the um, physical limitations that that put on her were kind of barriers that she had to overcome. She's also, they grew up in the South, so it's a very conservative um, background. He, they grew up Mormon, uh, or he did, his mom uh, converted. And she also has, because she worked on military bases and military hospitals, a really strong um, connection to the military, which I mention all of that because, you know, when he was talking to his mom about coming out in the 90s, you know, the perspective in America on, you know, LGBTQ rights was not what it has become. And of course, there's still a long ways to go. But, you know, he was having a conversation with his mom about the don't ask, don't tell policy. And she was talking about how much, you know, how many issues she has with uh, gay people serving in the military. So it's just an interesting, they managed to stay very, very close. And they've been very, very close throughout his whole life. And the book connected with me in both the ways that Black Story is unique, but also maybe even more so in the ways that it's universal and about family and about religion and about culture and how you kind of navigate all of those things. As I mentioned, he has done a lot of really interesting things in Hollywood and in politics, but he spends significantly more time telling the stories of his mother's life living with polio and living in poverty than he does talking about, you know, fancy Oscar parties or whatever. Um, and there is a big focus on storytelling. Um, you know, it's a, very much a Southern tradition, um, and he is a very good storyteller, as is evidenced by the fact that he won an Academy Award for writing. Um, but he talks a lot about the importance of storytelling, particularly in getting Proposition 8 overturned. Um, I will mention, uh, it's. I will give a content warning, I guess, for abuse and also for discussion of suicide, uh, because there is not an overwhelming to me, I don't think, amount of that in this book, but it certainly is there. So if that's a thing that is tricky for you, then maybe you know, keep that in mind. Um, and the book's a little long, but it actually reads, like I said, really quickly. He's a really compelling writer, uh, and I thought it was great. So again, that's Mama's Boy by Dustin uh, Lance Black. All right. I am going to just throw you right into it and have you uh, do our first sponsor, mostly because you read this book. Yes, so we, we don't yeah. endorse the books that are sponsoring the show because that's, you know, something we don't do. So. Sure. I know you loved it, and so go right ahead. So here we go. Uh, so the first sponsor is A Prince on Paper by Alyssa Cole. When Naya returns to Thisolo for a royal wedding, she finds herself up close and personal in bed with the real-life celebrity prince who she loves to hate. Johann von Braunstein acts as a paparazzi bait to protect his younger brother, who's the heir to the throne, and his own heart. If a royal, When a royal referendum threatens his brother's future, a fake engagement is the perfect way to keep the cameras on Johan. Naya and Johan both have good reasons to avoid love, but as desires are laid bare behind palace doors, they must decide if their fake romance will lead to a happily ever after. Um, and I really did, uh, Liberty's right, I really liked this book a lot. It's um, the third in a The Reluctant Royal series by Alyssa Cole, um, but you could read it independently. 
you might as well just read all of them, but uh, you certainly, and there are actually two novellas as well. So it's a, it's a pretty um, fun world that Alyssa Cole has built up. The first book actually in that series, uh, A Princess in Theory, was on the New York Times list of notable fiction for last year. So um, it was one of the first, if not the first genre romance books to be there. So that was cool. Anyway, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. And it is called A Prince on Paper by Alyssa Cole. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show. Awesome. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. It was only recently in the last few years that I found out that romance novels, while there are so many in the series, usually aren't like a continuation of a story, most of them. Like, I didn't no. know that. Mm-hmm. So I was always like, oh, this looks interesting, but I didn't read the first 17 in this series. Mm-hmm. You know, I had no yeah. idea. Like, occasionally, like, crossover characters, but you don't need to know anything, really, to, to read them. And exactly. that and has it- helped. It does impact, like, the payoff a little bit sometimes. You know, like, the different series are different ways, but sometimes it will be that everybody's friends or all of the couples that got together in the previous books. But especially in a book like this one, the main couple travels sort of away from that group of friends, and so their story exists pretty independently. Fantastic. So my next pick is a delightful young adult rom-com. It is called Hot Dog Girl by Jennifer Dugan. And it is about a young woman named Eloise, or as she likes to be called, Lou. She is a junior in high school, and she is about to spend her summer working at Magic Castle Playland. She's super excited. This is her second summer there because it's always been this big place in her town that everybody goes to. And a lot of her memories of her mother are tied up in their visits there when she was young. And now her mother is gone. And so she feels a really strong pull to this place. She just, it's really important to her. Um, And she's going to get to hang out with her best friend, Celie, while she's there for the summer. And she's going to see her crush, Nick, who is the handsome pirate diver. Um, And so she's thinking it's going to be a great summer. um, And she's going to, like you know, be able to pine over Nick. They almost got together. There was something, like, going on between them, like, some chemistry, but then the perfect girl, like, literally fell in his lap, and now she's kind of been pining away for Nick. Um, But she has some plans, you know, maybe she knows that they've broken up a few times, you know, and maybe this is her chance to work on him. Um, But she has been assigned the hot dog costume again. The least sexy costume of all the people. She did try to get the princess costume this time, Uh, She did feel, you know, uh, bold enough to try for the princess, but it did go to Nick's girlfriend because, again, she's the perfect girl. So, also, her best friend, Celie, who is there, uh, is heartbroken. Her girlfriend has broken up with her, and she's just sort of been really down. And Lou thinks that she has the perfect girl for Celie, but Celie doesn't want to hear about it. She doesn't really want to hear about anything at all. Um, She's just kind of bummed in general. And so that's bumming Lou out. But then also, the first day that they're there... After she gets her rotten hot dog costume assignment, the owner of Magic Castle Playland says, this is the last summer. This is it. I can't afford it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I'm closing it down. So now Lou is crushed because it's like losing her mom all over again, you know, because all these things that have memories of her mother are going to go away, you know, and she's like really, really upset. She's mad at her dad who does the accounting. She's like, did you know about this? Like, why didn't you tell me? And so now she's decided she is going to save Magic Castle Playland. She doesn't know how yet, but she's going to come up with an idea. And while she's doing that, also break up Nick and his girlfriend and get her happily ever after. But can she do it? It's super charming and cute. And it's about, you know, like, 
how awkward and mortifying everything is when you're a teenager and first crushes and heartbreak. And it's just, it's super sweet. So again, it is called Hot Dog Girl, and it is by Jennifer Dugan. That sounds amazing, and I will be reading it. That sounds great. Uh, my next pick is, because we were talking about romance, uh, I'm going to talk about the romance that I picked for this podcast, because there was no way that I was not going to do at least one. Uh, so the book that I'm excited about coming out actually on May 2nd is That Kind of Guy by Talia Hibbert. And let me say this first about Talia Hibbert. If you are looking for someone to break up a lot of the traditional stereotypes that people have about romance, she is a wonderful author to do that for you. Her uh, characters come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, um, and literally sizes, and races, and sexualities, and some of them are neurodiverse, and they come in a variety of different, different ages, and some of them are um, dealing with mental illness, and she just has all kinds of people represented in her stories, and she tells them really well. Uh, so in this specific book, That Kind of Guy, the one of the main characters, Ray, is a 40-year-old divorcee who is a writer. She's uh, dealing with some um, kind of baggage, and I don't say that in a bad way. We all have baggage uh, from a from her last relationship. She also has a mother who is emotionally abusive, uh, and she has just picked up and moved not long before this book starts to Ravenswood, um, where one of her neighbors is Zach, who is the other main character, and he's 28. They are friends, um, and he's great. He's uh, is he's kind of growing into his comfort with his sexuality because he is demisexual, uh, which if you don't know what that means, not a big deal. It means that he has to have an intense emotional connection to someone in order to be sexually attracted to them. So um, at any rate, so these two are friends. Ray gets uh, invited to this conference because she's been nominated for this big deal award for her writing, but her ex is going to be there and she's still, he's going to be there with his new wife who, as it turns out, he had gotten together with before the two of them were actually split up. Um, so she, you know, she has that very natural reaction of, I don't know if I want to, you know, be by myself and get all these weird pitying stares, even though she's really happy she's doing great, but she doesn't want to have to deal with it. So Zach, uh, being a good friend, offers to go with her. And as uh, Jess and I sometimes say on the When in Romance podcast, hijinks ensue. So um, you kind of, that's sort of the, the general plot of the story. Talia Hibbert just treats her characters with such kindness and care, and she's so deliberate about giving them a depth that feels really genuine that reading her books just makes me feel better about humanity. So she is wonderful. This is actually also book three in a series. Um, you don't have to read any of the others in order to get this one. Actually, even more than most, um, this book stands alone because, again, the, the couple is uh, stepping away from the, the set of the other books and the people who populated them. So, again, that is That Kind of Guy by Talia Hibbert. It is wonderful, and I recommend it. All right. My next pick is Let's Tell This Story Properly, stories by Jennifer Nansubuga McCumbie. And if you are not familiar with her work, she wrote a novel that I cannot stop talking about. I did not read it in time for the show, but it is called Kintu, and it is so amazing. It's won like a zillion awards about this, like, it's like this centuries-long generational novel about this family who's trying to get out from under a curse that was put on, on one of their family members in like the 1700s. Um, and it, it's, it's just so, so amazing. When I found out that she had a story collection coming out, I was so excited. 
immediately wrote to the publisher and asked them if I could read it, and they said yes. Um, this story collection is about Ugandans in Britain. Uh, there is a woman whose husband passes away suddenly, um, and she travels to Uganda with his body and is sort of shocked at what happens there. Um, there is a young man who's trying to get his mom to send them home for Christmas in Uganda. There is a woman with visa troubles who gets married to stay in the country, but then, like, she's attempt now attempting to leave her husband. Um, there's one about etiquette and s uncomfortable small talk at a party. It's about, you know, belonging. Like, where do you belong if you are away from your home? Does that become your home? What is home? Um... Do, you know, how well, and like, how well do you know anyone also? Um, and, you know, do you have to, do you have that home forever or can you change where you, your sense of home is? I've just said the word home like 50 times. Um, but you get the idea. They're so perfect and fun and just her writing is incredible. And again, I cannot stress enough that if you have not read it, you should pick up Kintu. It's K-I-N-T-U. It's like a 500-page novel. Don't let that frighten you. It's so fantastic. So this collection, also amazing, is called Let's Tell This Story Properly by Jennifer Nansubuga McCombie. And now I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of Cape May by Chip Cheek. Late September 1957, Henry and Effie, young newlyweds from Georgia, arrive in Cape May, New Jersey, for their honeymoon, only to find out the town is deserted. Feeling shy of each other and isolated, they decide to cut the trip short. But before they leave, they meet a glamorous set of people who sweep them up into their drama. The empty beach town becomes their playground, and as they sneak into abandoned summer homes, go sailing, walk naked under the stars, make love, and drink a great deal of gin... Henry and Effie slip from innocence into betrayal with irrevocable consequences. And Paula Hawkins, the New York Times number one best-selling author of The Girl on the Train, says, What a treat. Glamorous and nostalgic and very sexy, Cape May is a novel about marriage, lust, shabby seaside towns, and lots of gin. Brilliantly unsettling, one of those books that stays with you. So for sun, steamy romance, and lots of perfectly poured cocktails, Cape May has everything you need to jumpstart your summer state of mind. You can start listening to a honeymoon tale that you haven't heard before. So that is the audiobook edition of Cape May by Chip Cheek. We will have a link to it in the show notes, and we thank them for sponsoring. Yeah, you had me at lots of gin. Hey, uh, Yeah, I know who I am. That's fine. All right, my next book is called Park Avenue Summer. It's by Renee Rosen. It is a historical fiction uh, book, which it took me a minute to realize that that's what it was because it's set in 1965. And in my head, I have this block of historical fiction stops at like World War II at the latest. But this actually is a historical fiction book, and it's um, the story of a young woman named Alice who goes to work for Helen Gurley Brown, who is not a fictional character. Alice is fictional. Helen Gurley Brown is very much non-fictional. She's the first female editor-in-chief of uh, Cosmopolitan Magazine, or Cosmo, as we sometimes call it these days. She was an incredibly controversial figure, um, but this story is really more about Alice. Uh, there's a lot of subplot related to her family. She's moved from the Midwest to come to New York to become a photographer, is what she wants to do. Um, she has a little bit of trouble getting that off the ground, and so, you know, she uh, connects with a 
old friend of her mom's, this woman, Elaine, who helps connect her in with this job um, that her, Helen Gurley Brown does not want to give her, but you know, she's, she's plucky and she sticks with it, and so she gets it. Um, there's also a lot of subplot related to Alice's family and her mother, who had died um, when Alice was about 13. Um, but she had lived, her mother had lived in New York as a single woman and had always wanted to go back. Um, so Alice is sort of kind of trying to discover her mom and what that life was like while also kind of trying to discover herself. Um, Helen Gurley Brown is an interesting figure to have in this book as well. She had written at this point when she was given this uh, job a book called Sex and the Single Girl, which was a very big deal. And she was trying to transition Cosmo into more of what it would sort of spend the next couple of decades being, which was really focused on... um, you know, women and what they are interested in and what they're thinking about. She's a really controversial figure in the second wave of the feminist movement because uh, a lot of what she was targeting women toward doing was how to gain the attention of men and how to keep the attention of men. And so um, she certainly uh, was out of touch with with some things in that time, and then increasingly, uh, you can read more about it, became um, more and more out of touch as time went by. Uh, But it's... And one of the things that, that's interesting that um, Rosen does in this book is she highlights some different perspectives of feminism from that area, era, so not just Helen Gurley Brown, but also uh, Elaine, who I mentioned, who's Alice's mentor. Um, the other women in the office have very different perspectives, and Alice herself is kind of trying to figure out what personal, professional, and sexual independence mean for her. Um, I'll say that this book is a little narrow and that it doesn't include much discussion of inclusion and intersectionality when it comes to uh, feminism regarding race or sexual orientation in particular, because it's really focused on Alice's experience. Um, but that's probably one of the most important criticisms of the second wave uh, of feminism broadly. So I think it's important to mention. Um, Renee Rosen did do uh, a lot of research for this book, and you can read more about that in the afterword of the book. But for example, there's a memo that goes out. Um, and I just realized that we are not on one in romance, so I will not say anything more about that memo. But it was scandalous, and it was based on a real memo. Uh, and <laughs> it inspired some content for, for Cosmo, Cosmopolitan magazine in 1965. So uh, when you get to that memo in the book, know that that was a real thing that happened. So um, anyway, I will end there by saying that Park Avenue Summer by Brene Rosen is a great book, and you should read it. Do you get to say saucier stuff on when in romance? Like, am oh, I yeah. missing... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I we've ended up with an explicit rating more than once, and there have been uh, multiple occasions where I have had to go to one of our editors and say, uh, "Hey, whose decision is it about whether or not a discussion of insert scandalous topic here bumps us up to an explicit rating or does not?" Um, wow! So, yeah, that's exciting. We mm-hmm. do not have those discussions here. I did say something uh, on next week's show that. Uh, I was like, wait, can I say that? But and probably it's probably like nothing compared to to what you guys talk about. So I'm not going to say it here. But well, so now uh, like that's something to look forward to next week, right? Yeah. I mean, our um, yeah, now I'm excited. I will as even more excited than usual. But our our probably classic example, um, we had Sarah McLean on maybe about a year ago, and she well, say no she, more. <laughs> yeah, she was great. Um, and we had told her beforehand. We were like, listen, we try not to do like a lot of cursing on like explicit cursing on the. She was like, not a problem, totally fine, whatever. She launches into this story where she mentions a very specific thing, and then she realizes what she has just said. It was not a curse word. It was a different level of maybe inappropriate. And uh, she goes, wait, 
am I allowed to say that on this podcast? <laughs> and it turns out the answer was yes, but we have to mark it explicit. So yeah, yeah. go find that episode of When in Romance. <laughs> She's the best. Mm-hmm. She's yeah, the we best. had a lot of fun. Well, I'm going to look up some fancy curse words and start using them on the show. Nobody mm-hmm. told me this. Jeez. <laughs> All we'll right. have to have you guest sometime. My last pick, um, full disclosure, I am good friends with the author, but I am so proud of her. I absolutely had to mention it today. My last pick is What My Mother and I Don't Talk About, 15 Writers Break the Silence by Michelle Philgate. Michelle Philgate and I both started out our bookselling careers together at Riverrun Bookstore. Um, she's wonderful. I was very sad when she moved to New York. She's been doing all kinds of amazing things there. And this is her first book, which is just great. Uh, and also, before I keep going, tr- if you couldn't tell from the title, uh, trigger warning, you know, painful, gutting subjects uh, discussed in these essays, um, you know, abuse and and just, just heartbreaking stuff. Um, and so it's about, as Michelle puts it, she wanted these essays to discuss, like, how talking about things that we've never spoken about before um, can heal relationships and can heal us. Like, we can heal ourselves by talking about some of these things. Um, some of the amazing writers included in this collection are Alexander Chi, Kiese Lehman, Leslie Jameson, Dylan Landis, Melissa Phoebos, and Carmen Maria Mikado. Uh, so, uh, Michelle had written this essay about uh, the abuse she suffered at the hands of her stepfather and how not talking about it sort of affected her relationship with her mother. And the idea for this book kind of grew out of that. Um, we have people talking about having perfect moms, having moms who are oversharers, like Juliana Baggett writes an essay about how her mom tells her way, way too much. Um, moms who are complacent, moms who are complicit, uh, secrets that, you know, they, they didn't realize. And it's not just about, like, stuff that happened to the writers in particular, but, like, you know, when the, your mother had a first husband, you know, that you didn't know about. Um, you know, all these secrets. And it's amazing because... I've been reading a lot about those, like, online DNA tests and talking to people about them and how, like, in the future, there will be no genetic secrets f- between anybody. Like, anybody can go online and look at whatever is happening and, and how, like, uh, with the instance of um, Inheritance by Danny Shapiro, the memoir that came out recently where she found out, she did that test online and found out that her father was not her biological father. She had no idea. Like, that's happening all the time. Um, but these are some other, you know, secrets that people can hold on to still without that. And you know, I'm just always surprised when people say like, oh, I found this out. It's like, how did, it, how did you not know? Or, you know, it's just, it's just amazing to me. Um, and these are just beautifully written. Like I said, gutting some of them, absolutely gutting. Brendan Taylor is a young writer. He has a memoir coming out soon. And his essay is just, oh, just breaks your heart. Um, and I just... It, like I said, I'm so proud of Michelle. She's always wanted to have a book. This is it. It's amazing. Uh, so it is called What My Mother and I Don't Talk About, 15 Writers Break the Silence by Michelle Philgate. I actually read parts of that, too, before I knew you were going to um, talk about it, and I would co-sign. It was, yeah, a lot of really interesting stuff about perspective and the way various different people can see things really differently. Um, All right, so my last book is, uh, this is the one that involves a little time travel. It's called The Library of Ever, and it's by Zeno Alexander. This is a 
I would say it's a middle grade book. I think that's probably about right. Um, the main character, the heroine in this book, is an 11-year-old girl named Lenora, who is, at the very beginning of the book, dealing with an incredibly obnoxious nanny um, who she is sort of trying to break away from. She's just very, very bored. And the nanny says that they're going to go to the library, which, as a side note, Lenora is very surprised by because the nanny does not seem like the type that would spend time in a library. But turns out the nanny has to go there to check out a book to impress someone that she's meeting with later. So, you know. Uh, anyway, so she breaks away. Lenora breaks away from the nanny and wanders into this sort of strange, dark corner of the library, which turns out to be this massive, huge other library. Like, this is a lion, the witch, and the wardrobe wardrobe situation. Like, she stumbles into this whole other world, essentially. Um, so she's, you know, asking around, poking around a little bit, and she runs into Malachi, who is the chief answerer slash boss lady in charge, and essentially just asks for a job. And uh, Malachi is a little hesitant at first, but then thinks, you know what? We got a lot of work to do. Why not? So she's kind of just adventuring around the library world, solving problems and traveling back in time to help people fix their calendars and uh, answering questions based, frankly, on what she knows and what she has learned at the library. Um, there are also these really nefarious bad guys in bowler hats. That's how you can tell that they're one of the bad guys is that they're wearing bowler hats. They're trying to extinguish the knowledge, so they're also battling all of those guys. Uh, and this book, to me, had the sort of absurd tone of a book like The Phantom Tollbooth or The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making in that it's just kind of, you just sort of take for granted that sort of bizarre things are happening regularly. Like, of course, like now there are penguins or uh, obviously there would be a shrinking machine. So why not? Um, and that's just fine. Uh, and it is... It's When I was reading this book, I kept thinking of the nine-year-old version of Trisha who would go camping at Lake Chelan with her parents. Um, and full, I have five siblings, so we brought them too. Uh, and we would go in our um, trailer for a week and, you know, I would spend as much time as I could in the water. But when I couldn't, when my mom said I was going to get sunburned and I had to get out, I would read. And so I used to read all of these books while we were um, on a trip there. And nine-year-old Trisha would have been very happy to have this book with her on vacation. So if you are taking yourself or your your some small people or um, child-like people with you on vacation sometime soon, uh, it would be a good read. There's a lot of really interesting information in it too. Like Lenora has to help people figure out what is the tallest or what is the highest point on planet Earth or um, what is the, the place with the longest name or, you know, just that kind of cool, interesting trivia that comes about. So I thought it was delightful. Um, I read it on a rainy Saturday morning uh, here in West Virginia and enjoyed it very much. So that is The Library of Ever by Zeno Alexander. All right. Those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Ah, so that is a really good question. Um, and it's only a good question because I have, a, I think, a good answer, uh, which is a book that I picked up here in Charleston called LGBTQ Fiction and Poetry from Appalachia. Uh, it is by Jeff, it's edited by Jeff Mann and Julia Watts. Um, and I've been trying to, as I've been in different places or as I go to different places, read more about those places and read more perspective um, from those kinds of places. And so this book is, uh, I'm excited to get into it. I think April is also National Poetry Month. Is that real? That's correct. That's real. Hey, and, good for And me. today is World Penguin Day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, there you go. There Everything you go. is coming together. <laughs> 
Um, but there is such a, a rich sort of history of poetry and storytelling uh, in this region of the United States that I wanted to make sure that I um, had the opportunity to dip into a little bit more of it. So yeah, so my book that I'm excited to pick up next, it actually just came out within the last couple of months, um, LGBTQ Fiction and Poetry from Appalachia. All right. Um, what are you reading next? Uh, mine is about serial killers. Oh. <laughs> it's, oh I mean. it's, a, it's a new John Douglas. I was so excited. Um, it's the killer across the table, unlocking the secrets of serial killers and predators with the FBI's original Mind Hunter by John Douglas, written with Mark Olshaker. And he is, you might know that word, Mind Hunter. It's a series on uh, Netflix now. He wrote a book called Mind Hunter. Uh, it has to have been like 25, 30 years ago. He's like the original FBI profiler. Um, it's not exactly the story that you see in the Mind Hunter series. Uh, they had to kind of jazz it up, but he's, you know, profile. He says, like, you know, this is who you're going to be looking for. And I remember reading Mind Hunter when I, I think it was at the end of high school, or I just gotten out of high school, and it was just mind blowing. And um, this is a new book about stories, you know, pertaining to that, which are probably very distressing and dark, and I can't wait to read it. So, so is, is it nonfiction? Yes, yes. John awesome. Douglas is, is a very famous FBI agent, and again, he was one of the first, he coined the term serial killer, and he was one of the very first people to start doing profiling. Um, so that part of, like, the Netflix show is true. Uh, so, that's, yeah, it's it's crazy interesting, and also really upsetting distressing not for everyone so, yeah you know what would be um, super interesting is if somebody did the same thing to uh him as they did with helen Gurley brown in park avenue summer and created a sort of like historical fiction actually featuring him well i mean it's it's like pseudo him in the show um you know he's the the character stands in for him but it's not exactly what happened with him so yeah. i don't know who's to say Anyways, that, show cool. is, that show is, that show is, I sat down and watched it all in one day and I was like, I'm really sorry I did that. Yeah. <laughs> and then didn't I'm so, I'm so depressed now. So good Aww. though. Oh, so that is it for us today. You can get two months of Kindle Unlimited for just 99 cents by visiting amazon.com slash all the books. Thank you to A Prince on Paper by Alyssa Cole and the audiobook of Cape May by Chip Cheek. We'll have links to those in the show notes. If you want to let us know some creative curse words that I could say on the show. No, don't really. Don't. But <laughs> if you wanted to, you could drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. I am Miss Liberty on Twitter. You can find Trisha. Uh, she is Trisha Haley Brown on Instagram or in Trisha Haley Brown without the W and Brown on Twitter. Uh, and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. Happy reading, everybody.